Okay, this morning, and thank you, Gabe, for that. Romans, he, he was sharing on Romans 8, 25 to, to 28. And uh, real incredible truth there that, that is being brought out. It's being brought out. Awesome truth there in Romans. But let's just consider this morning. And we're going to read from the book of Ephesians. And when we talk about, when we get into the book of Ephesians, what we first have to realize is that when we read this, we are to read it from God's eternal viewpoint, his eternal viewpoint. It is the height, it is the height of the, of the Christian's position in Christ, which it will be for all eternity. When we look at that, when, when we read those unbelievable truths, and, and you can read them in the first chapter of Ephesians, again, when it says that, uh, when Paul says an apostle, and he's a messenger of Jesus Christ, and when he was bringing this out, it was at, was at Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. That's brought out in Revelation, the second chapter, the church there, the specific location. And then it says to the, to the saints, again, to the saints, those that are set apart by the will of God to Jesus Christ. And then it says to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Many times we've said before, and we, as we've all been taught, that faithful here is not talking about their obedience and their conduct. It's the fact that they're positioned in Christ that God considers them and considers all of those that are in Christ through receiving him to be faithful. Tremendous thing. And that's what God is always doing. He always treats us after the position and place that we have in, in Jesus Christ. That's why when we teach the Bible teaches us things, for instance, and it's brought out in the Old Covenant in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, when it talks about even chastisement in Hebrews, uh, the 12th chapter, in those 29 verses there, it's always from a perspective of his view of his love for us in Christ. He considers us to be those that are his, and because we're his, he considers us in Christ to be faithful in the one who is faithful to Christ, to, to Christ, faithful to his Father in place of every single one of us. And when we receive him, he places us in and positions us in Christ. And this is where we have positional truth. Then everything about that, everything, and we've said, and as the scriptures teach us, that many times the first step of grace is God's loving chastisement. He's not making us pay for our sins. Christ did that on Calvary when in John 19.30 he finished the work. So again, that's what it means in that one verse, that first verse in Ephesians, the first chapter and the first verse, to those saints which are at Ephesus. Now, when we look at the Lord's Prayer in John the 17th chapter, and remember Matthew the 6th chapter, he taught his disciples how to pray. That's the disciples' prayer, and it was, it was a millennial prayer of what's going to actually happen during the thousand-year millennial reign when Christ is on the earth, ruling and reigning, 
Again, this is brought out in Revelation, the 20th chapter, in verses 3 and 4. That right there. But you and I, you and I, he says, to the saints. So the Lord's Prayer in John 17, and we can see it in verse, all the way from verses 1 through 10, what he was desire, God's desire, and who could fulfill God's desire but God himself through giving giving Christ his son to himself to propitiate him and then for you and I to have a substitute whereby and only by that substitute Christ will reconcile to him. That's what it means that we're faithful in Christ. But to the saints. So Jesus' high priestly prayer in John the 17th chapter and verse 11 and verse 21 and 22 was that they may be one as we are one. That was Jesus' prayer. The whole time that Jesus walked the face of the earth, he was completely one in his humanity now. You can't separate God and deity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate God. They are one. Three distinct separate individuals, but one in essence. That's like, how could you separate us, our spirit and our soul from our body? We're one. In that sense. But Jesus, the whole time in his humanity, through his obedience and submission to the will of the Father and fulfilling that will in John 4 and verse 34, fulfilling it, finishing it in John 19 and verse 30, his prayer for us, and if you'll notice in that 17th chapter of John, he's, he's facing the cross, hasn't even gone there yet. But yet he says in John 17 and verse 4, I have finished the work. Notice that? He finished the work. The cross just became the revelation and manifestation and declaration of that. He being the lamb in Revelations 13 and verse 8, slain, listen to this, slain before the foundation of the earth. That's why we say the book of Ephesians here is bringing out God's eternal viewpoint. Now, when it says that, when Jesus prayed that, and then he said, I have glorified you on the earth in John 17, verse 5. Now I want that, I'm looking forward to having that glory that I had with you even in eternity when he said that in John 17 and verse 5. So John 17 has everything to do with what Christ Christ himself was accomplishing in propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. Dealing with the Father, first and foremost. Then, with that being dealt with, him being the substitute for all of us to be reconciled and only through him. That's who we are. Now, then he said that they may be one. The whole time that Jesus walked the face of the earth in his humanity, in his humanity, he was one with the Father. The only place where that stopped in terms of experience was when Christ was on Calvary, when he was propitiating the Father, then becoming the substitute for all those who would trust him or all their sins were being dealt with. His prayer was that we might be one. Now, And he said it again in 21 and 22, that they may be one, 
as we are one. The only time he didn't experience that and couldn't was when he became the sin sacrifice to his father in propitiation and for us as a substitute with all of our sins on him. And that's why in Psalm 22 and verse 1 and in Matthew 27 and verse 46, he had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was because all of our, he was propitiating the father in terms of the sin question. I heard a, a precious man of God. I know he's very gifted and I love him deeply and have loved him for, for years, decades, actually since I want to say the mid-70s. And I'm just so thankful for the truth that we have. And when we have this truth, and the only way we have it is by grace. And the only ones that he gives grace, grace understanding, is when he has to humble us so that we can't boast. Just because we have this truth and someone else does. But oh, how less it is to not understand the truth that we have being faithful in Christ Jesus. Because the faithful in Christ Jesus are only those who have chosen and believed in the fact that Jesus Christ the Son propitiated the Father, Genesis 22 and verse 8, and thus and thus only became the substitute to deal with only the sins of those that would receive him in John 1 and verse 12. Nowhere again in scriptures, anywhere, does it ever say that Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the whole world. Because if their will wasn't involved, wouldn't it have to have meant otherwise? It would have had to have meant that. But then to hear it, and it's taught, it was taught the way that he was teaching it, the way that I had was taught it years ago, decades ago, that in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, see that you sin not. You don't have to. That's what it says. Sin is in the will. It's a choice. We don't have to sin. And that's why love is in the will. And that's why 1 John 4, 10, herein is God, herein is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. Who's us? Only those that are in Christ. Those are the ones that have their sins dealt with. So, my little children in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, my little technia, my little children, see that you sin not, but if any man and any man there is those that are in Christ. If any man sin, we, only we in Christ, have an advocate, a go-between. That's the picture of the mercy seat. In Exodus 25, 17 to 22, we have this advocate. And the one who's our advocate, who represents us in, in terms of propitiating the Father, and then being the substitute, paying for all of our sins, and if they weren't, we could never have been reconciled, because in Habakkuk 1 and verse 13, God's eyes are so pure, he cannot even look upon sin. That's why he said... That says in Micah 7.18, Who's a God like you that passes by iniquity? Can't even look at it. Can't even look at it. And so that was, again, the fact that Christ paid, had to pay for the sin question in John 1 and verse 29. 
God's deep desire, his very, very deep desire was that he, that we would be one with him through Jesus Christ. That's the only way it could happen. That's what it means to be faithful in him. But to understand this. Now, it's amazing when we think of this. You, you, can, you can read the first chapter and the second chapter of Ephesians, but I want to just share just briefly this morning from the third chapter of the epistle to Ephesians. Re- Ephesians. Remember, this is the height of the Christian position. No people group is positioned any higher than being in Christ. There will be multitude, multitudes were saved. Multitudes, multitudes are in heaven. But not multitudes are the bride of Christ. Not multitudes are a heavenly people. There's only, that began in Acts the second chapter. When, when Christ was, obviously, was crucified, he went up, he was crucified, went down three days and three nights in, in the earth, brought out in type in Psalms 16, 10, and 11, brought out in the type there. And please remember that Christ never went into hell. Some teach that Christ went into hell. He never went into hell. The word there in, in Psalm 16, verse 10, 11, and specifically verse 10, he never went into hell. He went into the grave, and even his body was kept from corruption. It's brought out crystal clear. So he went into the grave, never went into hell. There are others that will teach that. They will use First Peter 3 and verse 19 and Second Peter 2 and verse 4 to teach that he actually went into hell. When those verses are clearly referring to how the Spirit of Christ was speaking in and through Noah when he dealt at that particular time on the earth to those that were disobedient. That's all it refers to. It's very important to have uh, the clarity of the Scriptures. And by the grace of Almighty God, we can all have it. It has nothing to do with human intellect at all or being some naturally intellectual person who can be able to understand these things where others can't. No, it's all by grace, and God will give grace to who? All we have to do is just, just humble ourselves. Just humble ourselves. Nowhere, nowhere is sin brought out more clearly than in the human will that exalts itself in the place of Christ. So brought out. And that's why, and that's what's known as pride. Now that we have in the flesh still, but we're not of it. Because as far as God is concerned, he's crucified that old. He's crucified it. Many will teach, again, that we no longer have a fleshly nature. Well, Romans 7 makes it crystal clear. And by the time you get to Romans, the 8th chapter in the 4th verse makes it crystal clear. We still have it, but we're not of it. It's Romans 8, 9. It's in us, but we're not of it. See those two words again. The flesh may be in us, and God uses it. When grace, when we refuse to be humble and we refuse grace for God to teach us, then he allows the flesh to be the hard way that we have to learn certain things. 
Because sometimes that's what it takes for God to get us to the end of ourselves in self-help, in self-hope. And he has to get us to the end of ourselves from looking to others for self-help and self-hope that can only be done through Jesus Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, it makes it very crystal clear that the head of every man is who? Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. Do you see Christ the whole way through? The man's no better than the wife. The wife's no better than the man. The wife does things the man can't do. The man does things that the, that the wife can't do. And when they function in their place, what do you experience? What marriage is. And what does God consider marriage to be? Oneness. Oneness. And that's why marriage. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it. When she had no capacity to even receive it, he gave himself for it. And that's a beautiful, beautiful, the, the types that are brought out there are so amazing by the time we get to uh, those particular portions. But here in Ephesians 3 and verse 1, it says, For this cause. And what is the cause? What is the cause? It is the very love of God. And it is the causeless love of God. There was no cause in any single person outside of God's own cause. It was his cause towards his son that they declared in the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Listen, long before there was law, Let's think about this. This is what God wants us to understand our position in him. That long before there was even a legal covenant in Exodus 23 to 17, long before there was sin and it was rampant, it started in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. The whole thought of any human being outside of Jesus Christ in, John, in, in Genesis 6, 5 and 8, 21 is only evil continually. You cannot stop it. Thank God that we've been crucified in him. That old is done away in Romans 6, 1 through 6. But before there was ever any sin, now did Christ have to come to deal with the sin question in John 1, 29 to his father? Remember in Genesis 22 and verse 8? My son, God, will provide himself a sacrifice. That's dealing with the sin questions. Many again. Many again teach John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It never says that. It says sin. It's the whole sin question. But long before there was sin, long before there was ever even any law, everything that God was manifesting about, him, about himself was what? The exaltation of his son. You know, sometimes we think about it. We think like God did all of this to deal with our sins. Yes, but first and foremost, I'll tell you, he had his own son in mind. Listen, before there was sin, he was the lamb slain. When? From the foundation of the earth. From before, from before he ever formed the earth, before anything, before any angel, before any angelic conflict, before any human being sinned, it was all about his son and the exaltation and glorification of his son. And that's why it says in John 13, 31 and 32, you hear a voice 
in that beautiful chapter in John, the 13th chapter, where it deals with how he loved his own, us. We have to remember, and some will teach this wrong too, Jesus in John 17 and verse 9, he does not pray. He's not willing that any man should perish, any human being, in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. He's not willing. But Jesus himself in his high priestly prayer says, I do not pray for the world. Now is the world the earth or is it the mass of people? The uns- if that's who it is. Who does he pray for? Who does he intercede for? In Romans 8, verse 34, Hebrews 7, verse 25, and Hebrews 9, and verse 24, he intercedes for those that are his. In every area of our life, everything we go through, we never go through without a great high priest. In Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16, every pain, every sickness is all seen and dealt with by God, and he sees us through all of these things, and he's with us. Never removing his eye, in Job 36 and verse 7, from those that are righteous, and our righteousness, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, is Jesus Christ. All of this has to do with how we have been positioned in him. Long before, listen, long before there was law, listen to this, long before there were any dispensational truths, God had in his mind his precious son, and the height of it is his church. There are many heavenly people that are born again and in in heaven. There is us that are church people, his church. Because even Jesus said, and and, and during during the uh, teaching of Israel, remember in Matthew 15 and verse 24, his disciples were not to go to any others but the house of Israel because he was dealing with them. Okay? Ever. That's why he said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will, future, build my church. And that began in Acts, the second chapter. And that church began before even he raised up the Apostle Paul. Even before. Because multitudes will teach that the church didn't begin in Acts, the second chapter. Began in Acts, the ninth chapter. The thirteenth chapter the 26th chapter, when it actually began then. No question about it. He didn't need Paul to start his church. (laughs) He chose him as his messenger to give us all of that heavenly church truth. This is what Paul says this in Ephesians 3 and verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, what cause? God's amazing, amazing love for Paul, the church's worst enemy. You read Acts, the eighth chapter, come to the end of it. And who was holding the clothes while Stephen was being stoned to death? It was Saul, long before he was Paul. Long before. He was the church's worst enemy. You could see it. Even read the Acts, the ninth chapter, Ananias, when he told him, he's now born again, he's my servant. And Ananias was, oh my good. You want me to do what? He's the worst enemy. He's the worst enemy that we ever had. And said, no, I've chosen him. He received my son in Acts 9, 6, and 7. He received my son, and and we see it in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3. He received him. And I'm going to show him 
how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. No more suffering because of his sins, but suffering righteously. You'll see that again in that prayer in Matthew 5. And you can, you can start and look at those first 12 verses in Matthew 5. Blessed are all they that, that suffer for righteousness' sake, it says. But for us here, it says, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. This is an amazing truth. Because who is Paul, instead of being a slave and a prisoner of Satan in John 8, verse 34, he's been captured and made more than a conqueror in Romans 8, 37, and it was through the love that was manifested through Jesus Christ on Calvary. For this cause, I, Paul, now I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You know what a prisoner of Jesus Christ is? One who's completely free now. Free of the bondage of the self-life. And when he did, when he did it for one, is it available for whosoever will in Revelations 22 and verse 17? Absolutely is. And if he did it for one, did he do it for all? For you Gentiles? Yeah. In other words, when God does something for one individual in a local assembly, is it just for that one individual or is it for the benefit of the whole? Yeah, it's for all of us, isn't it? But the only way in verse 2, it says, if you have heard of those dis the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to you, word. What that means is, what he's bringing out here is this. How's the only way we hear properly? Where is God resting? In Zephaniah 3.17, it says he rests in his love. What? The love of his son. And who is God? God is love. And love rests now. God rests now in his son. And where do you suppose our place of rest is? It's in his son. And so how do we hear then? When we're at a place of rest, resting in his love, understanding that he's accomplished all of this Ephesians truth already. Already accomplished it. Now we have to rest in him and trust him and be patient and learn and be humble and constantly be dependent so that that truth that's ours positionally, and that's in Ephesians 1, verse 1, position, that's position, this all can be worked into our experience. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation, notice that? Who is that revelation? That's Jesus Christ. Have anything to do with Paul or his will? Everything that Christ accomplished to his Father in propitiation and everything that he accomplished, every single thing that he accomplished as being a substitute, paying for our sins and reconciling us, did that have to do with one single thing about our wills? Not a single thing. Nothing. How that by revelation he made note unto me the mystery. What's the mystery? You know, this is it a mystery. It's it's where we get that word. It's it's a it's this word. It's like when a man would sculpture something and take a long time in sculpturing it, finally finishing it, and then he's going to 
bring it out in front of the audience and show his awesome work. But before he does, there's a cover over it, so it's like a mystery. You don't see it. And then he takes it off. Whoa. And you see the beautiful work. This is something that was in the mind of God. Listen, long before there were a earthly people, the Jews, long before there was law, long before there was ever even sin. And yes, Christ had to come to deal with the sin issue. But the whole, even beyond all of that, beyond all of it, it was God the Father is exalting and glorifying his son who glorified him. Had a son in mind. Long before there was sin. Long before you and I had a need. And we had that need. We needed a substitute. But long before that, way before that, in the glory of that, was between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son with God the Holy Spirit proceeding from them both. How that by revelation in, in, in Ephesians 3, verse 3, he made known unto me the mystery. Who, made, who did it? God did it. How did he do it? Through the fulfilled will that Christ is. What part did his will have in it? If Christ finished it, finished the will, in John 4, verse 34, in John 19, and verse 30, in the prophetic psalm, in Psalm 40, 7 and 8, and in Hebrews 10, 7 through 9, making it crystal clear, then all we had to do, all we have to do now is what? Is receive, receive what love has already accomplished. He had his son in mind before anyone. As a result of that, and what his son did, then we, he has us in his mind. That's who faithful are. Those that are faithful in Christ. But did it have to do between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son long before there was an angelic conflict? Yes. Is Christ the answer to God, God the Father and Christ the Son with the Holy Spirit proceeding? Yep. Long Is he the answer to the law in Romans 10.4? Yes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. Did Christ fulfill it in Matthew 5, 17 and 18? Absolutely. That's all he did was fulfill the law. He brought us far above the heights. And this is the book of Ephesians. Did he deal with the sin question in John 1, 29? Finish it for us, our sins in John nineteen thirty. Did he do all of that? Did he? He did. But before any of that, it was between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Whereby, he said, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? Long before. Long before there was ever an angelic conflict. Long before the angels were created. Humanity, which would fail. A third of the angels in, in Revelation 12 and verse 4 would fail as a result of Satan in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. But long before that, before the unfallen angels and the fallen angels, long before there was Adam and a whole race of people that would be born with a sin nature, in Psalm 51 and verse 5, in Psalm 58 and verse 3, long before that had to do with Jesus Christ, the Son, 
with God his Father. And God the Father, in this plan to exalt his Son and to think that you and I, through this incredible love of God, has placed you and I in him as a people to rule and reign with him for all eternity. Because we will be married to him. And we will be married to him, not just during the millennial reign, but for all eternity, because there's no divorce and no separation between the bride, us, and Christ the bridegroom. Verse 5 says, which in other ages or time periods was not made known unto the sons of men. Did Adam know this truth like we do? No. No. They knew they had to receive Christ, but boy, they didn't know it like we have this option, this this opportunity, I should say, which in other ages was made was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed. Notice where it says now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. That's why when you read Ephesians four and verse eleven, where it says he gave some apostles, they're not old. They're not the old. The tw- the uh, 12, Judas being replaced, they're not the 12 apostles on the earth because they didn't know this truth. And they're not, they're not the, the, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Some read this and that's what they think. But if you read Ephesians 4.11, you must read it with 3.5. This is what, again, as it is now, Revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. Do you think they knew that in kingdom teaching, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Absolutely not. That's why it's a shame and such a hurtful, dangerous thing when you mix kingdom truth, which will be millennial future, with church, church time right now. When you mix all of that, that's why it's so important to study in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Study to show yourself approved of God. How? We're in Christ. We're accepted in Ephesians 1.6. Okay? Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed. Is there any shame in who we are in Christ? None. That's why in Hebrews 2.11, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Is there any shame there? No. None whatsoever. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was, look at what I was made. Did he make himself a minister? No, Christ made him. Made him a minister according to the gift of of the grace of God, that's Jesus Christ, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And who did Paul consider himself to be outside of Christ? Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. You hear this great truth that this great apostle taught. He never exalted himself. He never would take the truth of what Christ had given him 
and use it to exalt himself in the place of Christ. Ever. Never did it. Unto me who am less than the least of all the saints, that's in his humanity, none who he is in Christ, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We will have all eternity for God to reveal it to us. That goes into Ephesians 2 and verse 7. His kindness, the riches of his grace and kindness goes into, goes into that love in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 that will pass knowledge. The riches of the knowledge of that love. It's, it's just amazing. And then it says, and to make all men, all all men and women really, but all men, anthropos, see what is the fellowship of this mystery, of the mystery. That fellowship there, that amazing fellowship, that stewardship that he had been given to make all see with Christ in him. From the beginning of the world. Notice that? From the beginning, before the world ever was created before any angel, before any angelic conflict. And is Christ the answer for the angelic conflict? Yes. Is he the answer for law? Yes. Is he the answer for the sin question? Yes. But far above all of that in first place, the Father was glorifying his Son as the Son was glorifying him. We must always remember that first. Had to do with Jesus Christ being glorified. The fellowship of that mystery, that stewardship, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, hadn't been revealed yet. But we get this truth right now because we are the bride of Christ. We are the body, flesh, and bones of Christ himself in Ephesians 5.30. We are the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. We are that. And that's why it's being revealed to us now, right now, what they never knew to the, to the degree and to the, the height of what we have in Christ. Which has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent now that unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places all that angelic kingdom all of it, this angelic kingdom, fallen angels and unfallen angels, that's what he's saying here, in the heavenly places, might be made, might be known by the church. He's teaching in 1 Peter 1.12, the B part of that verse, he is teaching these angels, thing, unfallen angels, what they would never know and to the degree that it's being revealed to them now as they look into our lives right now. Did you know that? They learn things about their creator they would not otherwise know. That's why some have called the church the university of the angels in 1 Peter 1.12, the B part. The man, by the church, the manifold, manifold here's the Greek word poikilos, poikilos, it's many-faceted, many-sided grace of God. It's like this diamond, diamond. And as it's cut and polished, the light reflects off of every single area. 
and, the, and it brings out the beauty of the precious stone, of course, of which Christ is, and which we will all have in Revelations 2 and verse 17. But as we see this this morning, that in heavenly places might be made known by the church, by and through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose. Listen, when? Eternal purpose. The eternal mind of God, long before there was the earth created, long before the angelic, any angel was created, long before there was law or even sin. This is what it's bringing out. The eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Boy, so amazing. In whom now, because of that, we have boldness and access with confidence by the absolute faith dependence, by complete dependence of him. What we have is so amazing. So little known. And, and uh, hopefully experience more and more, much more, so that we can understand the much more that we have in Romans, the fifth chapter, in those 21 verses, the much more that we have. <clears throat> and even Paul said in verse 14, for this cause, what cause? Cause of God's love manifested in, through Jesus Christ. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave us the Son like this and gave us the revelation of this. He gave us the revelation of His eternal mind about His Son and what His Son thinks of, what He thinks of His Son and what His Son thinks of Him long before anything or anybody else. God gave us the best. He gave us the very best that He could give us when He gave us His precious Son for this cause, boy, if we only had this cause, if only I had this cause, his love in me, it caused me to bow my knees in absolute humility and complete dependence and worship of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And that's the church, by the way. There's multitudes that have, already, that have passed away, and a lot of them, we know they're our family. They are part of that church, even though they're in heaven, and even though we're on earth, we're still that part of that one church. Of, of whom the whole family, that whole family there that we see in heaven and in earth is named, that he would grant you, you and I, according to the riches of his glory, Jesus Christ, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, how? That Christ may dwell, he may be at home in your hearts by faith, the way he is in his Father right now and the way his Father is in him. How? That Christ may dwell in your heart, your mind, your emotions by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love, in God may be able to comprehend with all saints, and this is going to go into all eternity, what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He's filling us up. 
right now on time. That's why we said recently time and what a gift time is. In time, he's filling us up so that we will have all of what he's given us to meet him face to face in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 where we get into our own private depth of fellowship with him for all eternity in Revelations 2 and verse 17. He's filling us up. But that's why in John 3 and verse 30, he must increase. But I, what? Must, and it's emphatic, I must decrease. Now unto him that is able, he's our, he is our only ability. He's reliable as our only ability. He will never fail us in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. He'll never fail us nor forsake us in Joshua 1, 5. He's with us through everything interceding for us. But now unto him that is, that is of that supernatural ability to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, that power is Christ himself that we're kept by in 1 Peter 1.5. Unto him be what? Glory in the church, us. Now listen to what this says. Now unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages of the ages, throughout all eternity. That's our place in him. He's preparing us now in time to meet him and to enter into that eternal state with him for all eternity. Then it says what? World without end and world without end is Ecclesiastes 1.4, Isaiah 45 and verse 17. The earth will not just be disintegrated and done away with. <laughs> it won't be. It's, it's a world, this earth without end. That's why we need to know the difference between world and earth throughout all the scriptures. But what we have in Christ all had to do before anything between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son and the exaltation of his Son. And Father, we do thank you so much for the beauty of the truth that we have. And I, oh Lord, thank you. And only you can do it, God. You will give us this truth today through weak, a weak and frail vessel. But oh, when that truth is received, oh, what you can do in each of us as individuals and all oh, the depth of your desire to have that intimacy with us. Oh, just think of parents and, and having a child, how deeply they desire to have an intimate relationship with them. What must it be then for you with your children? What must it have cost you? It cost, it, it, the cost was your own dear son. That's how much you desired to have us. But long before that, it was the desire for your son to be exalted and glorified. And that's why God forbid in Galatians 6 and verse 14, because the cross is that, is that one thing that we look at. It's the cross is the thing that God forbids that we should glory. Except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Of whom, listen, and listen, and I'm saying it to myself. Listen, the Holy Spirit saying that to me as an individual. Listen, God forbids that you should glory in anything other than the cross of whom the world, and to you, Ed, the world is crucified unto you. Everything about it is crucified. And you, unto the world, 
so that you can be filled up with a proper experience with the love of Christ. We thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.